We acknowledge and pay respect to the land and the traditional families of the Yugamba region of southeast Queensland and to their elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to remind listeners that we are recording on stolen land and sovereignty has never been ceded. Welcome to Revolting Women. This is an independent podcast brought to you by four independent women. It's time to rethink, rebel and revolt. So, what do you think about the patriarchy? Do you want to destroy it? Hey guys, how are you? How exciting. This is our first episode and we hope you are doing well. We certainly are very, very excited that this is finally being released. Very excited. Yeah, we put a lot of time, effort and rage into the production of this podcast. It's also our first time doing anything like this and we are no way experts or experienced in doing anything like this. This is the first time that we've ever done something like this and it's important to note that we are going to make mistakes and we are just here to learn and for you to learn with us. We aim to provide you with resources that are backed up by literature and evidence to work with. This first episode is going to be pretty long and it's going to have a lot of information that'll probably fry your brain a little bit, but... Um, it's crucial that we start off this episode with all of the proper facts, definitions and um, resources to back up everything that we're saying and so we can continue this podcast with the information and the base knowledge that you can have and so we can have and it will all link up, I promise. We're so excited to be here and doing this. We've put so much time and work and effort into this and we're so excited for it to finally come to fruition This episode is really structured and is very factually dense, like Samara was saying, and I just wanted to say that we will probably have a lot more free-flowing conversations after this episode, and our structure will probably change a little bit as we learn and get better and progress, so we are so happy to have you on this journey with us as revolting women ready to destroy the patriarchy. Yes! Mm-hmm. So uh, we would also like to introduce ourselves. So I'm Saskia. I'm Samara. I'm Jazzy. I'm Ruby. Hopefully you get used to the sound of our voices, <laughs> but we didn't, don't really want to make us, this about us individually. We want to um, emphasise that it's about the content we have to speak about, which is the most important thing about this podcast, because we have each other to learn from and to converse with. And we want to make a space where people feel comfortable to either start discussions with us on our Instagram or hopefully um, facilitate a community where you can find other people within this community to talk about these issues too. Because we understand we're really lucky that we have each other to talk about these things. Anyway, we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Revolting Women. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Just a trigger warning for this episode, we briefly touch on it issues surrounding sexual assault, rape and Indigenous genocide. So if any of these issues potentially are triggering for you, please listen with caution and we encourage you to seek out mental health resources as well in the show notes that we'll link. So we would 
like to begin with with a few definitions about patriarchy, just because we believe it's important to get a, a real definition of it. And also just to refer back to, so when any listeners are wondering what we're talking about and to make it really clear, this is our, not our definition, this is actually the, from, <laughs> this is the definition. <laughs> um, so patriarchy is the manifestation and institutionalization of male dominance over women and trans people in society. Unlike sexism, the word patriarchy means the social power dynamic involved. So the three um, structures of patriarchy are based on an individual level, an institutional level, and a cultural level. So the individual level is basically everyday sexism, whilst um, obviously the institutional level is um, self-explanatory, you know, churches, uh, workplace, all of that kind of stuff, schools as well. Mm-hmm. The cultural level is the bottom layers, the foundations of patriarchy that allows mm-hmm. patriarchy to exist without much out- outrage. So basically where we've gotten most of this information from today is from aorta.coop, which we'll link in the description, which is the anti-oppressive resource and training guide, which focuses on intersectional liberation framework. And it is a really good resource in what most of this episode has been framed around today. And uh, it outlines these pillars of patriarchy. So patriarchy, as we are choosing to define it for the purposes of, of this podcast, falls under five specific pillars. And those are the gender binary, misogyny, heterosexism, white supremacy, and capitalism. And the point that we want to make with this is that these five individual pillars will help us define, and they are pillars in the sense that these all of these five things will hold up patriarchy and holds up the values of patriarchy into society. And what patriarchy intrinsically links to, which is male supremacy, and that is the value. So male supremacy is the value of patriarchy and things like sexism and misogyny is the everyday occurrence and the things that you can specifically point to and recognise as that is a product or a disposition of the patriarchy. Um, So we want to kind of just talk freely about the pillars and kind of help um, you guys understand and define them and see how they all link together and... It's also important, I think, that we mention that all of these five things are necessary and needed to uphold the patriarchy, but things like white supremacy and capitalism, for example, completely can stand on their own. And white supremacy is a very real um, issue and very strong um, cultural context that doesn't it doesn't depend on the patriarchy. And we want to make sure that that's defined as its own thing with its own um, nuances as well to the situation and to patriarchy. So I think we're going to start off with talking about the gender binary. Just a quick disclaimer in the next segment, we speak about feminine men with trans women in the same context regarding a certain issue. We acknowledge that these are two separate identities and we want to reiterate that it's unsuitable to group trans women with feminine men. This is a tool used by anti-trans groups to spread transphobic misinformation. We aim to always correct our terminology when speaking about issues relating to LGBTQ plus communities. The gender binary is defined as a system that defines and makes room for two and only two distinct natural and opposite genders, male and female. These two genders are defined in opposition to each other, such as masculinity and femininity are seen as mutually exclusive. In this system, there is no room for any ambiguity or intermingling of gender traits. Um, the gender binary is a Western concept that is made up of only two gender options. Yep. I think it's also important to note with the gender binary that under this pillar, I suppose, or this um, 
terminology, it outlines that there's no room for ambiguity between mm. the masculine and the feminine, um, I guess, portrayals of gender. Mm. And we love to... People, I think, love when they hear the word feminism and misogyny, that it's just all about women and it's all about women's issues and that this isn't an all-encompassing thing, especially under the context of the patriarchy. And I think that one thing that we want to highlight as well within this is that the patriarchy and the gender binary especially harms both men and women. And this isn't just a women's issue or a trans people's issue or a um, LGBTQ plus issue. Like, it's for men, for straight cis men as well, mm. because if people want to start talking about, you know, higher male incarceration rates, higher male suicide rates, male mental health. This is because of the patriarchy and gender binary of emotions being associated with the feminine and not allowing any room for masculine traits to intermingle with feminine traits and defining those as strictly belonging to each when, you know, emotional, emotional displays for men look completely different to emotional displays for women. I found a really interesting excerpt from a book called Boys Will Be Boys by Clementine Ford that I thought um, really defined gender binary and put it into really good words for me to understand as well. So I feel like it's really cool to include. So this is what it is. Gender is neither fixed nor tangible. Assigning gender based on what we assume to be vis visible indicators of chromosomal sex characteristics. Vaginas with XX chromosomes is girl. Penis with XY chromosomes is boy, is therefore not just a guess at best. It also perpetuates the trauma experienced by trans and gender non-conforming people born into a cis-normative world. Yeah, and it's really interesting to put it in that perspective because it's only in our westernised society, our patriarchal society, where there is only two genders, male, mm. I'm sorry, woman, man, two sexes, male, female, Whereas all over the world for centuries across so many different cultures, they have recognised and integrated more than two genders, mm. including there's the Bugis people in Indonesia who recognise and have five different words within their language for gender. Yeah, a recent issue, issue that actually happened with trans um, rights in the past couple of weeks um, it came to light that uh, the Randwick Council um, at the MacIver Ladies Baths um, had a policy where trans women who hadn't gone the gender reassignment surgery had uh, weren't allowed into the bus. Um, yeah, this is definitely problematic and extremely ignorant for them to associate genitals with gender in 2021, where it has been explained by so many activists mm -hmm. and fought for for so long by radical feminists to um, actually acknowledge trans women, no matter like. Yeah, if they've if as women they are women, and for them to be like, no, you have to have the gender reassignment surgery to be allowed in is um, yeah extremely problematic, and it's upholding patriarchy and upholding the gender binary that we're trying to to destroy really. Yeah, and I think the biggest problem with this is that there is a common belief, which is a myth, in fact, I would like to state that trans people who use their preferred bathrooms uh, rather than the one that match the one that matches their gender identity rather than the one they were assigned to at birth that they're ultimately exposing others to um, sexual assault or especially women and children in those facilities like they're uh, um, posing as these abusers and going to enter into these facilities to attack women pretty much but there is actually no evidence whatsoever to back this fact up and so whenever somebody says something like this, it's important to state that there's actually no data to support that. But on the other hand, 
the um, trans people and non-binary people who are forced into using the bathrooms and locker rooms that they of the gender they were assigned to at birth actually places them in harm's way of sexual assault. There's actually statistics to prove that as well. Mm. But yeah, it's also it's like, like it's the number one... It is the number one thing that you come across is like people are like, no, um, we shouldn't be allowing um, these people into the bathrooms, but they they are women. And that's yeah. what we're trying to establish is that they are women. So you're not allowing a woman into um, the women's bathrooms. Like why? who gets to decide um, whether or not these people can enter their specific bathrooms? I've never spoken to a woman who has expressed that she is fearful of, you know, a feminine man or a trans woman coming into a bathroom. Like I've never had that conversation with any of my girlfriends being like, oh, I'm scared if a trans, a trans woman comes into our bathrooms, like that's for us. And like, I don't think that's... Well, I feel like there's two sides of that almost though because I think some people will, you know, their personal experiences, if you have a, a gay friend or something, you're comfortable around them because you can personalise that person and know that they're not a threat and they're dangerous. But I think with trans people sometimes when we see these stories, some people will not personalise the situation. They will think outside the box with their sort of uninformed views on the situation and be like, no, that's dangerous, that's not okay, I don't believe in this. It's, yeah, there's really black and white thinking without actually personalising it down to the feminine men that they do know in their lives that do not pose a threat to them. And I think if you can personalise these situations and realise these people honestly just want to be safe, they want to, they're going to be more scared of you and how you view them in those situations than posing an actual threat to your safety. And if you are listening to this and you do hold these views, I think it's really important to really think introspectively about this and think about where these sort of judgments are coming from. Like, are they coming from informed opinions and statistics and actual stories that have come out of trans people actually being these abusers or perpetrators or whatever? Or mm. is it just from your own bias and uneducated and uninformed opinions? I just think the most important part to... Um kind of understand this and to emphasise with this point of the gender binary is that non-binary people primarily suffer under the patriarchy and being non-binary in itself is the antithesis of anti-patriarchy and to be non-binary or to identify as that put yourself into a position where you are going to be targeted and you are going to have violence put against Mm. you and it's fucking hard and scary and it would be so intimidating for people to have to go out into the world and know that these things are happening to them every day. If there's no laws or policies in place to protect these people, they have to go out into the world knowing that the statistics show that they are at risk of violence and sexual assault and usually perpetrated by men as well. And it's especially, especially dangerous for these people if they are put into these positions. Yep, exactly. So with the hashtag let them swim, I feel like we can close on the fact that Imagine how scary it would be to have to go into a men's bathroom when you don't identify as a male. Could you imagine having to walk into a bathroom as a woman, a male bathroom? You would know you're in danger and you know that's potentially harmful and that's why they are segregated at this point is because men are fucking dangerous. Yep, it, uh, it opens doors to violence, to transphobic comments, to mistreatment, to just everything that's unsafe about it. And I think that it's really important that we talk about these things openly and a lot because trans women are women. Exactly, and that's fact.
The second pillar that is under the patriarchy is misogyny, which is defined as the hatred of women, girls and femininity. This manifests through violence against women, violence against gender non-conforming people, violence against feminine men, and it also is portrayed through things as rape culture and the devaluing of feminine work. So basically there's lots of obvious layers to misogyny and mm. there's also internalised misogyny, which we are going to talk about in a later episode as well for you guys. Yeah. So like with interpersonal level, like actions and behaviours, beliefs, things like that, um, it kind of falls under, you know, body shaming for hair and for farting and pooing and just things like that. Um, Girls also, don't fart. <laughs> apparently. Never farted. <laughs> Never. Um, it's also, you know, misogynistic jokes, like must be time of the month, just little things like that kind of when girls express any form of anger. Yeah. Oh, um, you must be on your period. You're so good for a girl. Mm. Boys don't cry. Mm, exactly. Um, with the institutional level, um, it's ma- mainly like laws and policies and things like that as well. So, um, you know, at school you were probably policed on your uniform. We've all heard the saying before about how um, you need to wear something specific so you don't distract other classmates and things like that. Or even like male that. teachers. Yeah. That's been a huge one. Yeah, well. and it's... My 13-year-old sister recently went for a job interview at this store and she went in in her her sports uniform Mm. and she goes to a private school as well. It's very conservative. And the interviewer told her, you need to be wearing longer shorts than that if you want this job because we don't want older men looking at your legs. That's so fucked up. That's 2020 that happened. Yeah. How old is she? She was 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah. Still happening. (laughs) Samara jumping in, we know this segment was a little bit short compared to the other ones, but misogyny is going to be unpacked a lot more in later episodes and specifically next episode, so this was just a bit of a taste of what's to come. And then we have the third pillar, which is heterosexism, and you'll recognise the word hetero, obviously, as meaning falling under the cisgendered binary of male mm-hmm. liking female, female liking male. Yeah. Um, and it is the idea that heterosexuality is natural, normal, superior and required. Um, homophobia, transphobia stems from heterosexism and these are all... Biphobia. Biphobia, they're all intrinsically linked within each other. Gender binary definitely relates to heterosexism probably the most when it comes to the pillars and some examples of heterosexism are... A universal recognition of marriages composed of one man and one woman, but denying equivalent recognition to same-sex couples. Mm. Yeah, I think that that definitely relates to if we're talking about heterosexism and the ideas that heterosexuality is natural and required, which is in the definition. And it's by using the word required, it's like it's required to have a house and Mm. to have a shared bank account and to receive your partner's um, pensions and inheritance when they pass and all of these things that have only happened in our lifetimes. Like these laws and these legalities are only gradually being changed across the world, you know, year by year. It only Mm -hmm. happened in Australia when was it 2018 or something like that that's probably not right but (laughs) it was recent and we were adults when it happened so it's just so clear that when still moving forward with this and with the ideas of heteronormativity um and if we talk about it in the sense of it you know being required um we can look at the gender roles and how that 
um, combines with the gender binary within the home and the patriarchal ideology of man plus woman equals family, equals mm. love, equals togetherness, equals right, like, and anything outside of that is wrong. And yeah. that's <coughs> where the heterosexism and heteronormativity just intertwines with it all. And I think anything outside of that is classed as, you know, not normal or not proper. And even when we look at, you know, women choosing to have sperm donors and have children by themselves, we can see how these traditional ideas of family then link into capitalism. Which we will discuss in detail in the last section of this episode. So the fourth pillar of patriarchy is uh, white supremacy. Um, And that's a historically based institutionally perpetuated system of exploitation and oppression of continents and nations and BIPOC by white people for the purpose of maintaining and defending a system of wealth, power and privilege. Yeah, so the way we relate white supremacy in the Australian context is definitely colonialism and the colonisation of Australia because when we colonised Australia, originally the Indigenous people had wealth within this land they had trade systems they had agriculture and they had a full running economy and what we did was we came around we uh, we killed them and then put them on these reserves in these tiny areas and then built the wealth of Australia off the back of these indigenous people without redistributing the wealth to them um, a good book to read on a lot of um, uh, the issues that Saskia just touched on is um, Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe. He explains how the narrative that we were taught um, in history and schools and things like that um, was actually completely wrong. (laughs) Um, It wasn't really like hunter and gathering types. They were established. They had farms. They, um, yeah, they were completely established as um, a a community and a a country. Yeah, I think it's important to note that this was an entire civilization. Like this was an entire civilization of people that had an entire system like you both have outlined, entire system set up to survive and to sustain. And because there wasn't, I'm sure that from the minute knowledge we all would have gained from school and that that, that Australia was declared as terra nullius and that there was nothing here. But what we didn't learn is that the Indigenous people had a whole communication network and a whole way of communicating their stories and communicating their knowledge and everything that they had gained and learned over the past centuries. And just because it wasn't a white version where it was all written in ink and scribed onto pen, it was (laughs) verbal and it was communicative through storytelling and in those ways, we were never taught that that's how their history was conveyed and communicated. And so we were taught there was just no history and there was nothing there when they had all of this and it was completely bred out. And I think the statistic is like 90% of the Indigenous population was killed within the first 10 years of colonisation. Yeah, and so this connects into our white supremacy um, pillar of patriarchy because it, enter, it intertwines with patriarchy as Indigenous people have been exploited and oppressed by white colonisers to maintain and defend wealth, power and privilege. And in order to destruct or destroy the patriarchy, we uh, need to redistribute that wealth and power and privilege. And we also need to give Indigenous people autonomy autonomy back over decisions for themselves and for this country. And I would just like to add in as well that I think we all acknowledge that we benefit from this system. Um, and yep. we would like to put it out there that we would like to pass the mic when we are discussing these Indigenous issues because it's important to recognise that we 
are not indigenous and this is not our land. We are on stolen fucking land. Mm -hmm. And it's also really important that white supremacy is always talked about when we talk about patriarchy as well. I think it's also important when we look back at histories, like we were saying with the Indigenous Australians and Indigenous communities all across the world, that all of these versions of history are male-dominated, but before they're male-dominated, they are white-dominated. So these histories are completely whitewashed and we only have the white versions of them that we have access to. So it's about actively seeking out Indigenous people's work and people of colour's work to inform us and educate us on the correct versions of histories and we can even look to things like the suffragette movement which is a huge pillar in first wave feminism and we look to it as you know within feminism it's looked at the first you know core movement the first core structure of what it looked like for women to band together and get the right to vote and to go to prison and be sent to all of these you know being punished for these crimes but when we look back at it it's completely whitewashed and there were women of colour and people of colour that were there in the trenches fighting these battles as well and they are not portrayed in any of the novels, any of the movies, anything of the information that we are given. They, they're just completely absent from it. Uh, it's just important to acknowledge this as well because, um, and i just like to add, especially um, LGBTQ plus communities as well, we're a big part of that and the reason we as white women have rights today is because of these communities and we want to put a big emphasis on encouraging these stories to come to light and centering them around feminism and the reason we have rights today. Yeah, so a fact that I can include in the notes later is something that I really, that really like shot through me because I didn't know about it and I was like, wow, this just kind of like represents how white supremacy is upheld. But when it comes to white feminism... So in America, when slavery was legal, uh, the first thing that white women were allowed to own in their household was a slave. So, yeah, boom. Like that <laughs> That says everything already in itself when it, bec- when it comes to feminism as well because white feminism is um, always above what I feminism just, is. Yeah, it's just the antithesis of what it was, of white, what white power looked like because yep. the first thing that a white woman was able to claim and own for herself was a black woman and, mm. like, that doesn't make any fucking sense when yeah. we're talking about female liberation. Like, that isn't female liberation. That is white female liberation and mm. it's important that we want to constantly be picking ourselves up on these things as well because we are three and a half white women. <laughs> 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 Explain yourself, Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, Samara, Jazzy, and Saskia are full white colonialists. <laughs> my mum is also a white colonialist, but my father is from the Middle East. And even though he is definitely one of the more privileged people that have come from Iran and lived in Australia, it is still half of my identity. So, I wouldn't say that I have experienced anything that people of colour have experienced in their lives. But I feel like I am... Um, can definitely see and relate to the struggles of people of colour and have witnessed it and experienced it as a back off of my dad and his life experiences too. Um, Yeah, it's just super important for me and for us here to recognise our privilege as white women and white people of Australia because... Because we're privileged and we have that experience of privilege and while our experiences um, are hard as women and we face a different kind of suffering from it, it will never be as hard as being a you know, a black woman or a queer woman and, yep. you know, a queer black woman. <laughs> um, we have to acknowledge our privilege as white women in Australia and it, 
as a whole, just white people, because yeah. we are also um, maintaining an uplifting patriarchy in a sense when it comes to white supremacy because white feminism is a movement completely separated from feminism, we believe, and mm. it's um, definitely important to talk about that as well. So, yeah. Don't from, you have a quote from Ruby Hamad? Yeah, I do. So I'm reading a book at the moment, White Tears, Brown Scars, and she quoted... Western feminism that we have inherited, rooted as it is in politics of the 19th century and the struggle for suffrage, is a tradition that embodies this racial and gendered hierarchy. The white feminist battle is not one that aims to dismantle the hierarchy, but merely seeks to ensure that white women join white men at its helm by agitating those against those limitations imposed on their sex. So I think that, wow. yeah, it leaves a, it leaves everyone else behind. Um, mm, we have to sure. recognise that we have the right to vote. We have a, we have so many rights and I feel as though we are like... We just, we're privileged in the sense that we're at the forefront where people are going to listen to our voices and it's important in that f- sense where we have this platform as white women and we need to use it to amplify the struggles and the voices of other people as well. Yeah, I've got yeah. some traits that um, <laughs> white people continue to... Um, used to hold up white supremacy that could um it's just kind of nice to bring these up so you can relate them back to your everyday life and just ensure that you're not um yeah doing these things and uh, ensuring that you're not unintentionally um causing any harm yeah causing harm to black people or putting them down when you don't realize you're putting them down or not highlighting their like oppression the way you should be and just like yeah pushing it under the rug or or changing it um so that it's kind of like a lot of white people believe they have earned what they have rather than (laughs) rather than um realizing that they've stolen it and um they've just colonized people countries and cultures and um whitewashed yeah everything that we know Mm. um and then yeah rather than acknowledge the extensive white privilege um and unearned advantages they receive they believe that if people of color just worked harder or um tried a little bit harder that they could then have what they have but it's impossible when there's a whole system upholding um their oppression their poverty all of these things and it ties back into some of the stereotypes about indigenous people that they're lazy they're alcoholics and then also is followed by they do this to themselves like if they just worked harder then they would be as privileged as us not acknowledging the fact of some of the stuff we're talking about before that if we didn't colonize Australia they would have so much wealth and power and privilege it's it all ties into one um there's also examples like um believe that white cultural norms practices and values are superior and better so there's so many times where we set like I hear people say and it gets said that um the way we live now is the best way to live and the the western um patriarchal society that we have is so advanced and we have so much technology that this has to be the best way and that really i think it removes autonomy as well from people of color and people who aren't from the you know western civilization if we're talking about it in that way it's basically england greater europe america Mm. and australia and some countries that are under the commonwealth as well and we look at these um 
others and we t- want to I think we have lots of like information about this as well and looking at like women even from other countries as the other and you know poor them and you know if we if we're talking about it under the context of patriarchy and living in Australia you know um so much arguments is you know there's women over there that have it worse off than you guys and taking that autonomy away from people of color and taking autonomy away from you know the integrity that other people who aren't just fucking white have over themselves in their lives and also being able to recognize both sides of the coin is you know there is oppression in certain senses but we also have to acknowledge that these are people and human beings who have control and autonomy over themselves and their lives and yep. are working just as hard if not harder than we are harder to, yeah harder way harder to be living in the conditions that we are just born into and that mm-hmm. we don't actually work for or fight for yeah we are just given them and we're handed it and that's the whole thing when we go back to acknowledging privilege and talking about the opportunities that we have been afforded that other people haven't and also keeping that perspective of, you know, things can be bad but also they can be fucking worse and it's important to acknowledge that. And that's why it kind of stems under the hierarchy as well. So men at the top, patriarchy, they rule, like men are the ruling class. Yeah, and white supremacy joins that because if you're a white man, you are the utmost of privilege. White, straight, cis, heterosexual men, straight and heterosexual, the same thing, but... There we go. (laughs) There we go. We get it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we do come under that as well because we are cisgendered females that Mm. are white and we live middle class and we... We definitely are a lot privileged than a lot of other people in society. But also comparing other our, our situation to people from other countries that supposedly have it worse is just minimising yep. our experiences on a day-to-day level. It minimises yeah. just our survival instincts. From day one, we are taught to protect ourselves. And um, a lot of women I know have been sexually assaulted and feel fearful to walk the streets at night. And how how can you minimise our experience to people over there have it worse when you get to walk around the street as a white, straight, cis man? Yeah. <laughs> and with the freedom to walk around in safety when we yeah and we have to also add with that they're not always safe like if you Mm. think about it men are afraid of men as well because Mm. it's a fucking fact like if you walk down the street sorry if you Mm. walk down the street you are probably scared just as much as we are for different reasons if you are alone at night especially if you're a feminine man like emphasis on that and if you're not a straight man as well and I also just wanted to point out when we're talking about this that if you're using other issues comparatively when talking about a separate issue so if you're talking about you know catcalling with females on the street and then you go and compare it to you know genital mutilation in fucking Africa like Mm. and you're only bringing up genital mutilation in the context of talking about you know feminist issues and you're not actually talking about it in other any other context you don't actually care about either issues (laughs) you just want to argue with the person you're having the conversation with and nothing ever gets accomplished because you're only using this information to um to defend to defend and to minimize other people's experiences there's this also there's this really good excerpt from um rage becomes her by soraya shemily and she just compares men who go to jail and usually when you ask them what's your biggest fear about going to jail Mm. they will usually say that 
getting raped is their biggest fear. And if you ask every woman what their biggest fear is walking the streets alone at night, getting in their car in a car park, it's usually getting raped. That's your everyday experiences. You always have this fear of it happening. And that puts it into perspective for men. The fifth and final pillar of patriarchy is capitalism. Which which is an economic and social system in which the means of production are largely in private or corporate hands and the main incentive of economic activity is the accumulation of profits. This often results in class divisions and exploitation of workers for the purpose of increasing profits. And the people who mainly are affected by this are BIPOC, just like to point out. Definitely. And women. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And um, capitalism relies so much on the family unit and the nuclear family to uphold um, capitalism in a way because it it pretty much inherently disadvantages women um, mostly by having to do loads of unpaid labour. So for for them to construct this nuclear family and have a man and a female um, and create this whole... um, yeah, this whole structure and family unit, um, it helps them because they have a woman to do the cooking, the cleaning, the looking after the kids, the creating of a new generation of workers that mm-hmm. they need to actually, yeah, survive and to, to make profits off. Um, I never even knew that kids were only um, sent to schools to learn how to work in factories until you told me at Jazzy. Yeah, definitely. Like the industrialization. um yeah, that happened around the 1920s and stuff. They really started to start sending kids to school rather than, well, the working class pretty much. Yeah. So the bourgeoisie and stuff got to go to schools and got to get educated so they could remain, um, yeah, remain the rich, really. Yeah, the, the thinkers. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they didn't need, but um, the working class, yeah, the working class would just, they would start working at the age of 12 and work in these factories that... Smoking cigarettes, drinking, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, and then they realised that... Um, um, people were dying really young and they needed a generation of workers that could work mm. until they're 60, 70 and what we see today. So they really took this and ran with it and, yeah, have created this. And then, yeah, coming back to, like, women... Um, gender roles that they have to yeah. portray within the yeah. family home and how anything outside of that gender norm of male, female children is considered not normal and is not required. And it's not required because it doesn't serve things like capitalism and the patriarchy. And yeah, everything. definitely. And, um, yeah, just like women now even, they go to work um, pretty much the same hours as men, but then they come home and do the unpaid labour as well. So we've even created um, a worse-off version of this nuclear (laughs) family. Um, But because, yeah, we fought for so long to be able to work and things like that. However, we didn't fight to have to do all of the unpaid labour at home and things. Um, And then I also want to touch on um, how the the nuclear family under capitalism not only oppresses women but the whole LGBTQI plus community by ensuring they're made to feel left out, attacked or wrong for not fitting into this heteronormative narrative that that capitalist patriarchal society has developed. So um, the LGBTQI relations has been a consistent part of history and in even some societies they were fully accepted and embraced such as like the ancient Greeks so we know that these um, relations have existed prior to um, uh, the patriarchal society and capitalist society that we live under however um, it doesn't benefit them so they they try to block it out they try to make it seem like it's 
um, required. Normal. Yeah, mm. yeah. Come back, coming back to the required thing, and then it also leads to issues um, where they're kicked out of their homes, abused, bashed, um, and completely isolated because they're made to feel, or people feel like they are wrong, and they're not. There was a study that the University of Western Sydney did. Um, it was in 2013, but I still feel like it's pretty relatable to now. Um, but there was an online survey completed by more than a thousand young LGBTQI respondents, and it found that 64% had been verbally abused, 18% physically abused, and 32% suffered from some sort of discrimination or oppressive treatment. Um, which yeah can really relate back to patriarchy and capitalism because it benefits from isolating and oppressing certain parts of the working class so that they remain divided and cannot work together to fight the greater evil, Um, which is not your gay or woman workmate, but your boss. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Revolting Women, where we dissected the pillars of patriarchy. Um, Thank you for listening and making it this far. Next week, we'll be talking about internalised misogyny. And why the patriarchy wants you to hate her. Mm -hmm. See you next week. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revolting Women. We hope you were able to learn at least one new thing from us today. Please subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a review as it helps more people find us. You can follow us on Instagram at Revolting Women Podcast or click the link in our show notes. You will be able to find the sources we referred to in this episode today. If you have any feedback, questions, episode topics, want to open up a discussion or come onto the podcast, we would love to hear from you. We would like to take this moment to also state that we are not the creators nor pioneers of this information and our aim is to build upon the pre-existing teachings that have informed us. We say thank you to the Black and Indigenous women of colour, LGBTQIA communities, activists and trailblazing feminists that have fought so we could thrive. If this episode has brought up any triggering feelings, please know that our DMs are open to you. You can contact mental health services such as Headspace, which is a free Australian youth-based service at 1800 650 890 or Lifeline at 131 114. Remove the stigma and reach out. See you next episode. What's wrong with that?